2014, the United States Secret Service was wiretapped through a Google Maps exploit by an individual who wanted to prove how easy it was to game the system. This person risked a life in prison to expose the cybercrime. And today, he joins us in this episode of Coding Over Cocktails to tell you all about it. Listen in as we explore the world of hacking through the eyes of a world-renowned cybersecurity expert, ethical hacker, and former U.S. Marine. We talk to him about his experiences and views on hacking and cybersecurity, how attacks are becoming more and more sophisticated, and how organizations can potentially address and protect themselves from these cyber attacks. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo. Joining us from Sydney, Australia is Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good morning, David. Good morning, Kevin. And our guest for today is a world-renowned cybersecurity expert who was named one of the most famous hackers in 2014 when he became the only person to ever wiretap the United States Secret Service and FBI. He's now a professional keynote speaker and podcast host, invited to hundreds of conferences and events worldwide. He has also written a book called Cyber Fraud, The Web of Lies, and now works as a senior security architect for Scientive Technologies. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us for a round of cocktails is Brian Seeley. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Howdy. So before we dive right into the questions, how does one go from being a Marine to an ethical hacker? Well, have you ever made a bad decision in your life? <laughs> which, which one was the bad one? <laughs> uh, well, there's, there's a series of, no, the, the Marine aspect was kind of crucial to it. Like it gave me a lot of confidence in being able to move forward. But when the ethical hacking thing came up, I had been going through a divorce. I was bored. I didn't have a lot of time. I actually got clean and sober uh, for the first time. Um, after coming back from Iraq, didn't deal with things properly. So getting clean and sober left me with a lot of free time. I wasn't going to bars. And I love doing podcasts. And I don't mind when I have friends who drink. I keep wine in my home. But today is my four-year anniversary of being sober, which I find super funny that you to be on a coding over cocktails. Over cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, well, congratulations and sorry about that. No, no, not at all. Like, if, Do you like broccoli? Do I, oh, yes, love broccoli. I do not. Does that mean I would demand that you stop eating broccoli? I mean, if you're going to steam it, don't do it in the office microwave, maybe. But other than that, like, it wouldn't preclude you from having to go eat broccoli, do whatever. Is it ruining your life? Do you have a broccoli addiction? <laughs> if you don't, you're fine. And it doesn't affect me whatsoever. Well, that's good. Um, now that we've got that sorted out, maybe we can talk about your ethical hacking. Ethical hacking. So, look, when I hear uh, hacker, I, I, I get these images of a computer nerd in a darkened room, actually not that dissimilar to what you're sitting in now with glowing lights around you. I resent <laughs> where, the accuracy of that. 
Just <laughs> wearing a hoodie, a feverishly entering lines of code, breaking through firewalls, accessing confidential information. But in reality, uh, it's just as likely a hacker could be someone that is looking for exploits in a like business process or a system design, right? Right. Is, is, is that how you got into this, uh, you, you, this area? Uh, the time with Google Maps and wiretapping the Secret Service was not a software vulnerability or breaking into a firewall or NCIS type thing. Hmm. It was a by design system and exploiting a system that had multiple moving pieces. So if you built a location on Google Maps for your business, you would get a postcard, or if it already existed and you needed to claim it, you would then be able to get a phone call. So that phone call would be a way to verify the accuracy of that information that you control that phone number. That's all it means. Hmm. But that phone number then becomes the trust anchor for all of your data related to it. That's the one thing you can't change. Everything else you could change at that point. So what I did was built something in a place that I had control over the phone number and then changed all the data associated with it and then re-triggered a verification because you could disassociate with a listing. Say, I don't own this business anymore. It's not mine. I don't want it. Re-verify the phone number. But now the address, you can move all the way across the country. This, these systems were all by design. They all existed in the way that they designed their products at Google mm -hmm. Maps, for example but it was easy to exploit and then become uh, a really large problem on a global scale to give you the idea of uh, business categories like locksmiths, uh, that type of thing. If you look up on Bing Maps, which Bing is a much worse option than Google Maps, Google's hands down the best at this, at, at getting rid of spam. Mm -hmm. Bing Maps has more locksmiths in Redmond, Washington state, then there are actual locksmiths in Washington state. Right. Because so they're, the, the, they're scamming the system. They're spamming it. Right. And by names like AAA locksmith, 24-7 ready locksmith, locksmiths all day long, like every name combination you could possibly come up with, mm. putting up fake reviews on each one of those, boosting them to the top ranking spots for those keywords. And when they get flagged, it doesn't matter to them because they've got multiple backups. The same thing is happening on Amazon where people have found ways to review um, products. So you can launch a product and get it to the top of Amazon. You're a millionaire. So many people are going to see it. If you can pop into that recommended spot, other people have bought this. People are, I have seen Amazon accounts that have been hijacked only for the purpose of buying something, sending it to someone, but they didn't use a pre-stored credit card. So if they broke into my account, for example, they'd use their own card, ship the item to a different address. And why would they do that? Hmm. They want verified buyer review. It's worth the effort because really, if you looked at it, you'd be like, why did you, did you break in and clean my house? Yeah. Like, it, no crime occurred according to the person whose account was accessed other than their name was used as a review. Yeah, and I, I, like you mentioned that in, I think it was Redmond, you're saying that there's more 
locksmiths advertised on Google Maps than there are actually locksmiths. And, oh, and big I, maps, I, I, but not on Google. Yeah, Google, there's yeah, still Google Maps. So, and problem, I recall yeah. you saying in one of your talks, there would be ads like, you know, we will do a call-out service and fix yes. your locks for $15 or something like that. Right, so $15 it, lockout special. Yeah, yeah. So it, bring, it brings back to the question is why would there be more locksmiths advertised than there actually are? Right. And um, so what are they trying to achieve? What's the, what's the end goal here of these? these Redundancy. And some people are going to, 90% of people will click the top one hmm. or the second of the top one, or some people will pick the one closest to them or the one name that they think they heard of or they resonate with. So there's 90% for the first one, 5% for the second one, another 5% for the third or fourth, and then a 0.1% for all of the remaining listings because they get calls. We just don't know exactly why, hmm. but they're not the top spot. But if the top spot and all 10 subsequent ones are the same person, it doesn't matter hmm. because if one of them gets flagged as being spam, it's just a process of, it's like a pipeline for leads in a CRM. Like you just want to have a, a ton going in because you know, a ton are going to lose. You're going to have attrition. Hmm. So it's a it's a numbers game. Um, your your TED talk on uh, wiretapping the United States Secret Service using Google Maps has has received over four million views, um, and obviously you've already alluded to this, some of the techniques in which you achieve that. But for some of our listeners, which perhaps haven't listened to the TED talk, could you briefly run us through the process of what occurred again? I found some fraud that we just talked about here, uh, business listings all over the world. Hmm. I had worked for a company a few years prior that was doing this kind of thing. Uh, when I got into the data entry period of it, I didn't know that there were fake companies. It was just orders. Hey, put the input this data, hire a team in the Philippines, hire a team in Bangladesh, hire a team wherever, input data, go and generate stuff. But at one point, the company paid a screenwriter to write, I think it was like 100,000 reviews, like an out-of-work screenwriter during the writer's strike. He wrote 100,000 Autoblast reviews, all this of them for, unique. This is for a company you work for, did you say? Yeah. Right. So this is how you, this is how you start to become aware of this exploit. Oh, yeah. And yeah. figuring out how to get around stuff. And then there's other communities of people that like Warrior Forum, um, Black Hat Forum, and all sorts of other mm. places where people have either now products for how to do this kind of thing. And there's legitimate training courses out there that people try to help you figure out a way to generate leads is a almost like a whitewashed term for lying. Mm. Go lie. Just lie. It's good. You can just say you're another business. It's okay. It's just getting leads. Yeah. But we call that lying. And it's, it's fraud. The, de the basic definition being lying to get money from someone when they wouldn't have given it to you if you had told the truth. Like, are you going to trust a plumber from Florida if you live in California? No. Why would you call them? That wouldn't make any sense. And most of the time, that's why these people are shady about it. So that's... And, and as I understand it, your technique to, to, to prove this concept in a rather stupid, <laughs> very old, stupid, 
old way, let's say, <laughs> was uh, you verified a phone number. For some reason, you chose the Secret Service because I'm guessing that was going to be a fairly high-profile target to prove your point. Uh, you, you hijacked the number and then presumably you just used a number which a service you can buy and then you can transfer the call. So you transfer. What happened then was there was business listings for ATMs, yes, which don't have a phone number most of the time, and don't have uh, anyone claim it because who gives about owning an ATM? Yeah, you don't need it on on the map. Yeah, so you could add a phone number using Google Map Maker, which was a product that I helped make go away because it was a part of the process. So adding information as sort of a correction or an edit. So you'd add a phone number to an ATM, go back a couple of days later, claim it as your business. It now verifies because you have the phone number, uh, whether it's Ring Central or VoIP or some sort of number. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you could move that ATM anywhere in the country and change the address as million, a million times as you wanted because the thing that couldn't be changed was the phone number. But if you verified with a postcard to verify your address, that's the thing you couldn't change. So it was one or the other. Mm. And they've changed some of that process now. Uh, I'm pretty sure people still do it using postal service mail forwarding. So for example, you could go and send a verification postcard for Brian Seeley Consulting Service, One World Trade Center, New York, New York, whatever the zip code is, 100001. And then go set up a, a postal service mail forward for that business name saying, I'm going on holiday. I need all my mail forwarded. They don't, you don't have to register with the postal service when you get a business. Yeah. You only have to tell them when you need mail to be shifted. They're just by default going to try to deliver the mail. So the, the mail postal service pretty much everywhere operates on a whitelist until blacklist or change needed. So everything is allowed until you say specifically do this thing. So if no one has a mail forward, they're just sending everything everywhere and then everything stays there. If the transfer needs to happen, then you have to make an edit. It would go to chaos if everyone had to register where they lived and people would pitch a fit to have to register where you lived. It would be like, show me your papers. That's that level of like government intervention. And people get really nervous here about that kind of thing. Well, I, I, I lived in Hong Kong for six and a half years and you would regularly have to show proof of address with the bank. I grew, state. Up, in, I grew up in Tokyo and yeah. you have to have your alien registration card on you at all times. You have to show a utility bill, like you have to pay for the television service, even if you don't own a TV. And like there's also you can't not have your address be correct on your license or that kind of thing. But it's. It's just policy and everyone follows it and it's no problem. Yeah. So the difference between a black hat hacker and a white hat hacker is, is as I understand. Length of career. <laughs> it's whether you get paid or not. It's, no, no, no. You, black hats try to get paid. It's just it's about you, if every job you do is liable for criminal prosecution, you're not as good. It's, it's like being a company nowadays. You have to be 100% perfect and never make a mistake or you're going to get ransomware at some point. Mm. If you are the best criminal ever, the idea is you do a couple big things and then you stop crime 
it, because it, you're going to get caught eventually. You're not going to beat everyone else that's trying to catch you. And your personal freedom is, you know, it's important. Like, I don't want to be in an orange jumpsuit in a cage somewhere. It washes my skin out. I look terrible in orange. I get that. So, so white hat hackers, conversely, they'll do it for the benefit of society. So in this case, as I understand it, you went back to Google and said, in fact, as I understand, before you even went to the Secret Service, you went to Google and said, look, guys. Yeah, I'd been, I had been going back and forth with them for weeks. Yeah. I reported it through the proper channels. They said it was spam. This was not a problem. I made some funny business listings to try to get them to think, okay, maybe this is what he says it is. But they were flat out telling me, you're a liar. You're not, you're not, you can't do what you just said you did. So on the news, I had a news crew with me. I, we recorded me changing the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. to the Zoolander School of Kids Who Can't Read Good. And we filmed it. And then the news agency called the Google people and, and they said on the phone, well, he's, what he's saying isn't possible. And they said, well, we just filmed him doing it. Mm. And they hung up. It was like, we're just having, like, we're not calling you an asshole. We're just telling you we did this. You said it's not possible. Who's, can you, now, the, the really interesting part I, 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 in your TED talk I found about this is, is obviously when the Secret Service rang them, it got their attention and they shut down the service for a few months. But what I found really interesting was that they reintroduced it after the news story had died down a bit without actually implementing any changes. Ah, that was fun, wasn't it? Yes. Someone lied <laughs> again and then nothing happened. So presumably the issues have been improved or fixed since then. And like you said, it may be some search engines are better or worse than others. But um, it's, do you find that like that there's a genuine issue that uh, businesses don't really want to address these failings in their process and are, and are perhaps focused on commercial gain or, or something or market share as opposed to fixing these exploits? I think you just raised a really good fundamental question about what human life is about. Mm. A majority of a lot of people I served with are get divided into two categories. There's the people who I'm great. I didn't do anything wrong. America's awesome. We're the best country in the world. We make no mistakes. Everything we do is, is amazing. And then there's the ones of us who are like, well, where's the data to support that? Cause we're not, the best in literacy, we've got the most guns. If that's the metric you're using to measure, great. But there's the people who don't want to look at anything that they would consider a weakness. And then there's the people who want to look at the weaknesses to address them, to fix them. Mm. Like alcoholics, for example. The first step is admitting you have a problem. And if you don't, then you're just, oh, well, it couldn't be the drinking. All these DUIs, it's always, it's, man, it's those cops. They've got it out for me. It's, you have to address the weaknesses in your company. It, it, it makes sense. It's a mature response. It's an adult way of looking at things for shareholders, for maximizing value, for bringing up the value of a company is to quickly find out how people would break into your home or your company 
and fix those things first. Just knock them out one at a time without emotion. Hey, we're going to fix this broken door. Hey, we should put a lock on this, like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, okay, when you bring it to their attention that there's a significant exploit like you did, then, sure, you would expect them to fix it. How do you get But I guess there's a lot of business process because, in effect, this was an exploit of a business process in terms of a verification process. Companies Does it make have, it any less devastating? No, not at all. But companies have right. thousands and thousands of business process. So I'm wondering what you would recommend how do they go about fixing issues which they're not aware of how do you go about choosing your targets because you, you know you've obviously found other exploits on other systems besides google maps and, and you've got a number of talks on those so how do you go about finding because <laughs> i'm thinking it might help companies find ones within their own organization i recommend companies engage organizations like bug crowd or hacker one um, any bug bounty program, at least from the coding and technical attributes, because the, the people that end up working for you on one or chances are they'll probably work on help you find multiple issues that you didn't know were possible. It's like you don't need to go and hire the best programmer and then have him on salary for the rest of his life. You can get access to those people through these types of platforms who are then going to find out where your mistakes are. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like hiring a grammar Nazi to proofread your, your document. Like he's going to give you the straight answer because he's getting paid. There's incentive. And you're not looking at it from an immature standpoint of like, how dare you criticize my work? Be like, Hey, are you human? Hey, guess what? If you haven't made a mistake yet, then you might be Jesus. If you have, you're probably not. If you're Jesus, we're going to have to have a whole bunch of other questions. <laughs> so like have a little like take the ego down a notch everyone has made mistakes michael jordan has made what more missed more shots than most of us have ever taken hmm. i mean the failure rates you know kind of up there but he's the greatest you have to look at those little shortcomings. The people who end up working on those technical vulnerabilities will then start to see the business process vulnerabilities as well, because it's like looking at the website and what it's doing for a user and how they're going to click on stuff while simultaneously looking at the code behind it, looking for any clue. Because sometimes the way the bug bounty or the chasing of these technical vulnerabilities is like, okay, you, your head's above water, you're a normal user, and then you go down under the surface. For, it's up and down. You're not sitting looking at matrix code all day long. Sometimes you're just clicking on the same form over and over and over again, watching how it works and what it connects to, and then noticing that there's no S. Oh, you forgot this. Something simple, a typo. You didn't use a secure port, or there's no TLS between these two elements where there's this, that, or the other. It's people fact-checking and just double-check, triple-checking your work because it's important, because that one mistake ends your company. Is your ego, it's like, oh, we, we did everything great, worth not being a company? Mm. That's, I mean, that's what it boils down to. So this experience you've had, um, you yeah, know, finding exploits in, 
in systems has led to a career in, in the space. And you've uh, uh, recently joined Sciemptive um, organization and, and they uh, have a patented technology that monitors the state of files rather than state of APIs to eliminate cyber threats before a problem is initiated. So that sounds interesting to me. Tell me about that. What you, tell me about your work there and, and what you're doing, what the company's trying to achieve. I've been with Sciemptive for a little over a year and a half. It's one of the first companies I've been really excited about some of the technology I got to see. Uh, I worked for a vendor company, uh, or they were a, one of our vendors, and I got a chance to sit with CISO, COO, and the CEO all in a meeting with my boss at the time. And it was like, eureka moment. They, they figured something out actually works. Most antivirus products monitor 2% of the APIs within an operating system at any given point, trying to maximize utility without completely just swamping the processor. Because we've all looked, we've all heard the jokes about whether it's like old Norton or Symantec or whatever it is being, you know, the biggest virus that you have on your computer because of how much processor it consumes. So no antivirus product monitors for every possible action in a computer. There's too many things going on. You'd need multiple other processors just to run all that stuff. And it would be cost prohibitive and heat and everything else. So we have products that protect from ransomware, sleeper ransomware, as well as stuff that's not been seen. So it's not a heuristics-based file scanning. It's not a, hey, okay. There's the analogy I like to use when I'm explaining it to my kids is, I got a box from Amazon, like I usually do, and it's red. And I open the red box, and it's six inches by six inches by six inches, and it's this tiny little box. And, uh-oh, it's all spiders. The next day, are you going to open the red box that's exactly the same look as the one that had spiders in it? No, you are not. But if it's blue, it's not red. Hey, it sounds like spiders. Still, it's blue. Go ahead, get get the scissors. This one's good. Hey, that iceberg looks fine. Titanic crew. I'm sure we've never died from iceberg before. Is it problematic? We'll see. <laughs> That's not a great way of like as the as ransomware gets worse, as problems and malware gets worse. Because mm. it's not just we're robbing you in the present. We're robbing you in the future, too. Like, we're going to go steal your intellectual property. We're going to hold all of your private information for ransom. Then we're going to or try to extort you, or we're posting it on the web for everyone to see, like EA and the source code with them, or Accenture got hit today with LockBit 2. And they're like, and the LockBit ransomware group is now recruiting insiders. It's like, hey, is your boss a dick? How would you like to make some money? Just download this and we'll take care of the rest. Mm. That's going to be, I know some people who would, unfortunately, it, those are the people who wouldn't tell you they got bit by the zombie. We know some of those people. They're like, no, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. It was a scratch. Mm. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. But that guy's going to eat all of you in a few minutes. So it, they're getting more sophisticated. The damage is being maximized. How are we going to stop it? That, that's sciemptive. I've, I've seen some of the ways um, that they have patents 
intellectual property. My boss, uh, my direct boss was 35 years at the NSA. And if he boards a plane, I'll trust that airline. If he won't eat at a restaurant, I won't eat at that restaurant. I mean, I'm not, I'm pretty sure like he doesn't go to Taco Bell because he's in his sixties. But the idea being, if he's saying, okay, these guys are good. These guys are bad. He's got access or has had access to all of the secrets. Like, I don't even want to know because that's just too much information for one person. But he, he's got the best sense of humor and I know nothing about him. Like nothing. I think he likes golf. His name is Gary. Uh, but he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he's, yeah, he's brilliant. These people have dedicated actual solutions that detects people within seconds hacking into your network. And it's, it's some of it's just magic. Since you've got involved in that space and, and you talk about ransomware, is that something you're coming up against in terms of uh, clients and, and businesses which are experiencing this and, and, and the ways that they're responding to it? Between Scientive and then my private consulting or personal career of uh, public speaking, every, almost every single thing is related to ransomware in some way, shape, or form, mm. or how to defend your. What are the current coming threats? Is there something better than ransomware or worse? Super ransomware. It's like, oh, this ransomware has got AIDS. And yeah, and now you're going to get sick in the real world. On We've mixed COVID and ransomware together. Here you go. So like your computer can now make you sick. Like, what's next? What's coming? And it usually is the basics uh, to stop these kinds of things. Backups. Um, from what I understood, Accenture put out a statement saying they were able to restore from backups to prevent loss of downtime or whatever. They didn't have to go and pay the ransom. They're not going to be able to stop the extortion attempt. Mm. So they could release private PowerPoint present. Number one, if anyone releases all the private documents of Accenture, snooze fest. PowerPoint <laughs> presentations, case studies. Oh, we've got metrics. Holy crap. That's a big data dump. I do not want to pile. Like, who wants to do that? That's, that's a job. Here's a job. I just gave you a boring job. Like read through all this stuff and learn about another company. Like, oh my God. It's, it, I mean, I want to see kind of like, I might want to find some PowerPoint presentation templates that sat like, oh, that one's really pretty. I like that. But other than that, like, I feel bad for them. I'm glad that they set a good example because they represent the, the top tier of consulting, right? Mm -hmm. um, Avanade is a, Sub, I used to work for a company called Avanade that was Accenture Microsoft Partnership. If it, it's nice to see that they're still maintaining a high level uh, of expertise. So backups, training your people. It's not the sexy stuff. It's learn how to dribble so you can play basketball. It's the fundamentals. Mm. But so many people just don't do it. It's embarrassing. You mentioned that uh, yeah, a lot of uh, they're starting to try and recruit within the organisation. I know a lot of the exploits can come from people inadvertently clicking on an email and exposing their passwords and stuff like that, getting backdoor access to an organisation. Do you find um, that the threat from ransomware is coming offshore? Is it, or is or is it also a domestic issue where where people are trying to uh, attack? Or and hold 
you know, it's just the new. I think it's impossible to get any good real metrics. I mean, most of it's originating from organized groups in Eastern Bloc, mm -hmm. uh, Cyrillic languages. Should I narrow it down? Uh, <laughs> it, it rhymes <laughs> with shmusha. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe not them, but people nearby, or they know of who it is, or they, yeah. you know, they're related. But it's not say it doesn't mean to say that they're all bad. It's just they're the most sophisticated adversaries the United States has. And if Israel suddenly became a problem, we'd have a whole big issue with them too, because they're probably within the top three capable offensive hacking groups on the planet. Is Israeli, Russian, or Russian bloc or old USSR, Soviet Union, and then China, but in North Korea following them. But they're not sophisticated, and was anyone expecting them to be? It's an interesting uh, uh, topic, Brian. How, how can our listeners follow you and get more information about this from you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or mm -hmm. LinkedIn or brianseely.com, or you can start knocking on houses, and eventually you'll find me. And the, I believe your handle is uh, Brian the Map Guy or the Maps, Maps, guy. Maps guy on Twitter. And I think LinkedIn or Brian Seeley on Facebook, um, on Telegram, uh, you know, most places. Brian, very interesting to talk to you today. Thanks for joining our program. Oh, cheers, guys. It was great fun. I look forward to working with you guys in some way, shape, or form. And uh, where are you in Australia, by the way? In Sydney, in lockdown in Sydney, up to our fifth week, I think it is, of lockdown. I'm supposed to come back after the lockdown's over for a gig, so we'll have to grab lunch. That sounds good to me. That's great. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Coding Over Cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there, because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!